0: with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects.
1: Hi, it's Rob here and I'm with the lovely, magnificent Paul Lowe. Um, L-O-W-E, Paul Lowe. You can find him on social media. Now, this is a privilege. Um, I don't know that he's actually said it uh, because he's done his intro, but I am his 250th episode. I take that very seriously, uh, Paul. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Um, And Paul wants to discuss... My foundation, the Rob Moore Foundation, and being a catalyst for change. So it's a bit of a different subject than what I might rant about every single day. He also wants me to do my own introduction. Now I am a bit, I'm a bit English about blowing my own trumpet. Um, so I'm going to focus more on the foundational work, um, Paul, than maybe my entrepreneurial accolades, um, my personal vision, um, which is also my uh, foundation vision is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education. Now, my foundation will help anyone who uh, meets that criteria, but I I suppose we will be focusing on underprivileged or disadvantaged, maybe young um, entrepreneurs to start with because, you know, maybe... There's a lot of people in the world that just need a bit of luck or just need someone to support them or just need a bit of a leg up. Um, And so I wrote a book, Money, must have been two to three years ago, Paul. And that did pretty well um, in the UK. Not that it matters how many it sells. The book is the book. And I wrote it as uh, I wanted it to be a one stop shop go to book for money because there's lots of books on money and all the niches of money. But I wanted it to be the story, the psychology, the history, the mindset, the strategy, the tools and the tactics. I wanted it to be everything. And it was a big project. It was a massive book. In fact, it was nearly a quarter of a million words, first edit. Um, and in the end, we got it down to about 150, 140,000, I think. Uh, and at the same time, simultaneously, I launched my foundation, the Rob Moore Foundation. So I'd kind of moved beyond, you know, became a millionaire before age 31. I bought, sold, managed hundreds, hundreds of properties, letting agency training companies that some some years have done 20 million there or thereabouts in all revenues. Broke a couple of world records for public speaking, wrote a load of books, did my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, which has done really well but I guess I was yearning for something bigger, something more meaningful, something that made more of a difference. Now, they do, but, you know, they're they're not really philanthropic or um, purely focused on helping people who are maybe a bit less privileged. So that was when the foundation was born. And I know that um, you've been helping, Paul, you've been advising my mum, um, who's a trustee. Um, I know that You know, you really want to be involved a lot, which is a real privilege to work with you because I know you've got lots of experience in that world. Um, And I guess I did that because I didn't want to be a philanthropist when I was 65, when I'd made 100 billion, like a lot of them are. I thought, well, why can't I do that now? Why do I have to wait till I'm 65? Why can't I do it at 37? Um, And, you know, when I'm 60, 78 years old, are people going to care how many Lamborghinis I had or how many millions I made? Probably not are they going to care about the difference I made to people? I think that that's what they're going to care about. And I think that's what's going to mark the biggest difference on the planet. So mm-hmm. that's a bit of a different intro, um, but that's what you want to focus this episode on. So um, I'm happy to talk about that.
2: Absolutely. And I think it's worth mentioning at this um, stage, Rob, that... Um, when you refer to yourself, obviously, as a trustee and the founder and, and, and your good mother. Um, I've also been added to that list of trustees. So there are three of us. And, you know, really looking forward to, as you say, bringing my experience, my contacts, my wealth of the third sector into play into a time in the world, Rob, where I think it's fair to say we are in uncharted waters globally. In in. Any respect, if you look at that from a business point of view, from a—it doesn't matter which angle you come from. This is new territory, and that's proven it mildly, is it not?
1: Yeah, well, we are in new territory, and there is unprecedented, uncharted times, and that can be scary. But if you look look back through history, there's been many things that have challenged humanity. So I think it's also wise to remember that this is just our current challenge, our new challenge, which we must grow through. Um, and the reason I chose financial education and, and entrepreneurship, Paul, is because I think that's where you can make a big difference. One, I'm an entrepreneur, mm. so I'm not going to do a, a charity. There's so many things you could do. My re, my really good friend, Katie Piper, she does a lot of charity work, obviously, for people who have got burns and acid and disfigurement because that happened to her. And I didn't want to mm. be incongruent and um, do some charity work up here, there and everywhere or, or or for the sake of it, without really having a clear direction, which you helped me with, Paul. Your advice was very helpful. Um, and I love teaching people about business and entrepreneurship. I am an entrepreneur. I have been in debt and I have turned my financial life around. I have taught a lot of people about money and business. It is my passion. It is my vision. It is my mission. And I, so, so I can be credible in that area. I can be a leader. But also, and this is really important to me, I fundamentally believe we are not taught enough about finances and budgeting and managing our money and managing our emotions around money, consumerism, retail therapy, all these things. We're not taught them in school. I said this on an interview yesterday because I've been doing a lot of interviews recently as I'm stepping back from more operational work. Um, I managed to move myself up from the mid-sets to the top set in school just before GCSEs. And the top set in French and geography They merged us into a new superclass called geography, where they taught us geography in French. Yet we weren't taught about budgeting, money management, money emotions, the story of money, the psychology of money, the history of money. We weren't taught taught how to manage it, to master it, to use it for a a force for good. And that to Mm. me seemed wrong. I've never used geography. I don't put that in my CV. It's not on my LinkedIn profile. That's not making <laughs> yeah. me, you know, millions now. It's not making a difference to anyone. But yeah. the the money stuff is. And whether we like it or not, we have universally agreed through our democratic systems that money is the universal medium of exchange of value. So we've replaced sardines, sardines, stones, salt, And any other method of um, exchange of value, we've replaced barter. We don't swap trades anymore. We believe um, the current monetary system or systems, because there's more than one, to be um, efficient, um, to be frictionless, to store value well. I mean, if you had your... Um, if you were a butcher and you had your meat without salt, they're going to decay very quickly. Even with salt, they might decay within a month or a year. But money, your po- you know, your new polymer plastic note won't decay for a thousand years or whatever, and it will be exchanged, you know, hundreds of times. So we've universally agreed that is our mechanism of exchange of value in, t- in an independent, interdependent species and in society. Yeah, most people aren't taught how to use it and manage it. It's like being taught, not mm-hmm. taught how to use your hands and your feet seems crazy to me
2: yeah i mean when you consider that you know there's a very strong train of thought that money is energy and when we look at energy aspects around us be that emotional be that physical be be it whatever as you say there's no focus is there on this this thing that to most people i wouldn't say all but to most people makes the world go round And as you say, there's no primary education or even... I think respect is probably not too strong a word given to it at an early age. And it's like, you cannot ignore this this thing, this medium called money. You cannot.
1: No, because everybody relies on it, needs it. Most people are a slave to it rather than mastering it. Even our basic sustenance of shelter and water and food require money, our basic survival, as well as all the other trappings and um, material items that, you know, clothe us and protect us or are a manifestation of maybe, you know, our desires or egos or whatever. Um, But, yeah, this is really the work. So thank you for being a trustee, Paul. Um, And the work of our foundation is to get out to the masses, the developing world, the countries that don't have um, the education that we do in, in maybe in the developed world, young people, underprivileged people, struggling people. I'm just doing a little thing right now, Paul. Um, I just helped do a, a 20 grand raise. For, my foundation matched 10,000 and we did a raise in the community for the NHS through the lockdown, which I thought was a nice... There was money sat in the foundation. I thought that was a nice way to use it because I could wait and wait and wait, but, you know, we, we want to use it for good causes. Um but I've, I've, I've just done a little thing where I've um, opened up applications to give a £3,000 gift, grant gift, um, not a loan, um, to a, an entrepreneur with a great story, an entrepreneur with a mission and a message. And, hey, look, it's not like it's a meritocracy. We all deserve a chance. But there's nothing more empowering than an entrepreneur with a mission and a message, a yeah. product and service that's meaningful, that's valuable. But they just need a bit of help.
2: Yeah. The... Um yeah, the, the power of the story, isn't it? The words and, you know, going back to the caveman days where we, we sit around the campfire and we just love to tell stories. And it's that empowerment that that gives us, isn't it? And and certainly, Rob, when we look at the some of the, the client groups that we're aspiring to serve, you know, they're inspired by those stories, you know, from coming from sort of, you know, dare I say, from cliche, rags to riches. But it's all in the story, in the energy of the words, isn't it? And that's, that's what excites me about this, this this project that obviously I've got involved with you and, uh, and your mother with, the Rob Moore Foundation. I want to flip over to just the general word contribution, Rob. Um, and when Robbins talks about his six human needs model and the highest need being contribution, I just wondered what your, what your thoughts were around contribution generally. And is it what you would frame as the highest human need?
1: Yeah, so um, I've been trying to figure out, as we all are, I guess, on this tough journey called life, what is the meaning, what is the purpose, and what is my individual meaning and purpose within this greater meaning and purpose? I almost feel like part of humanity's purpose is to find out its purpose on an individual and on a a global level Um, and... I don't think that material item success or accolades is that purpose because we didn't need that 100,000 years ago and it doesn't serve humanity's evolution. And someone asked me on a podcast yesterday, Rob, what does success, what's the definition? Now, of course, wisdom will tell you that the definition of success is an individual thing. But I'm going to I'm going to put an argument, a debate to start um, to everyone watching and listening. I would say that success means being valuable. And contribution is being valuable. Mm -hmm. Contribution is serving at least equally. You can't have a consumer without a producer. You can't have a taker without a giver. Um, And as such, I feel like without contribution... There is no human evolution. We are interdependent. I need the shoes that you make. You need the meat that I cut. We both need the bread that our friend over there bakes. We need the um, what, what? Someone? What's a? We need. We need butcher, baker, candlestick maker, all the basic needs. It was far more simple ten thousand years ago because there wasn't such a hierarchy. I imagine in a tribe ten thousand years ago. It wasn't like, yeah, the baker gets paid 10 times more than the candlestick maker, who gets paid 10 times more than the butcher. Oh, and the cobbler, he's the CEO. And the (laughs) ironmonger, she is the janitor. I think we had a very um, horizontal hierarchy. Um, And Alfred Adler talks about this in Adlerian Psychology, whereby um, they believe in vertical, so they believe that vertical human relationships is. Subordination and ultimately not healthy for humanity, i.e., um, you are my boss, I subordinate to you, or, or um, you know you subordinate to me, and you are lower than me, and I am higher than you. Um, they argue that horizontal relationships is what life is about, i.e., no one is better, no one is worse. You are a fellow human. We are on this journey of life together. And you have a different trade to me. You have a different function, a different role, um, and you're equally valuable. Therefore, we're all equally valuable, which helps your own self-worth to not pedestalize or subordinate. Um, And so going back to your question, and I wanted to talk around it on purpose. Why does Tony Robbins believe that contribution is one of the most basic human needs? Because without contribution, there is no humanity. There is no humanity because the, the consumer needs someone to produce and the contribution is production, whether it's the gift of time or whether it's producing food or clothes or products or services. So whilst I haven't got into the biological um, science of this yet, and I know there are people that are and you can follow them, but I think we would all agree making money feels good but really helping someone and changing their lives. And, you know, especially if they were in a dark place and you literally saved them, there is no feeling that trumps that. And I believe that's biological. I believe that is hardwired within us. Why do some things give us fleeting happiness? And why do some things give us a deep sense of fulfilment and worth? And I just want to talk quickly about happiness and link, link it to this, Paul, and contribution. Because mm. a, lot, a lot of people say, You know, the meaning of life is to be happy. Um, Well, if we were happy, happiness is a result and a reward of something. So if we were in perennial happiness, it wouldn't be a result and a reward. It would be a non-challenged, non-growth feeling. Therefore, if we're all happy, there'd be no growth. If there were no growth, there would be no evolution. And ultimately, the human species would die out. Because when you're happy, that is not when you're fixing problems or in it or embracing problems. It's the reward afterwards. So I believe that the purpose of problems is to challenge you to grow. And the challenges that force you to grow force force evolution. And that is one of the purposes of humanity. So I think it's an illusion to think that the purpose of life is happiness. Happiness is the reward for, for overcoming challenges. But there's different levels. So, you know, let's say you did a video and you had a lot of viewers. You'd feel sweet for about five minutes. Probably be quite an ego boost, but that'd be it. Let's say you saved 15 children from drowning. That would move you to tears and you would feel a deep sense of fulfillment and satisfaction for most of your life. You probably remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So on the one scale, there's this flippant, transient moment of dopamine. And then on the deepest level, there's that satisfaction and fulfillment and worth. And so if contribution is being valuable, value to others creates your own worth. And the more contribution you give, the higher your self-worth is. Um, I I did a, a raise and um, helped raise. It was mostly me, but I don't want to take anything away from anyone else. But 15 of the 17 grand that was raised for my sister's life changing um, kidney operation that she needs was raised by me. And when my sister phoned me up in tears, thanking me for that, that was one of the most beautiful moments of my life that I remember. And I just remember putting the phone down and turning to the friend, my friend in the car and saying, if, if I could die now and you could take me this would be a good way to go. Like, this would be a good end to my story. Mm. I felt amazed, amazing, amazing about that. Um, one of my friends, his son had a really bad brain injury. Life or death it was. And me and my school friends raised some money for him and I put something out on my Facebook and raised most of it. And we got his son back from Zambia to the UK and, you know, his son's doing pretty good. And that gives me a deep sense of fulfilment. But how many people were on my videos or how many people downloaded my podcasts? It's just a dopamine hit. It's just a quick hit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. really long answer, but I wanted to bring in some other content, Paul, and make it all relevant is that's why I believe contribution is one of the deepest human needs because I think it's fundamental to the evolution of the species. Therefore, we need to have the happiness reward emotion to go and contribute. And it is the, one of the deepest happiness reward emotions
2: and what we've spoke about essentially so far rob is the the uh the quality the quantitative side ie the money the figures the amounts which is obviously crucial but the qualitative side it, it kind of gets short pressed you know as you say that long term feeling and just listening to you speak around that situation there raising that money particularly for your sister if i can be allowed to share i'd a very similar scenario with not a relative but somebody who actually I invited him into into one of my books to tell his story and I didn't know but he actually put it in black and white that without Paul I wouldn't be here as you say there was that initial kind of if I'm honest about it that yeah the ego raised its head wow and then once you've bottomed that out, you know, Peter Sarsted, when he sang that song, Rob, in 1968, where do you go to, my lovely, when you're alone in your bed? For me, that's a great metaphor of saying, never mind all the hype, all the trappings. When you're in that, in that room on your own at night with just you and your thoughts, everything stripped out, where do you go to then? And that's when that concept that we've called happiness kicks in, because that's the reality. Is it not of, okay, do you know what? I feel good about what I've done here. I did it anyway. I didn't do it for kind of accolades. But as you say, you know, for a minute, a couple of minutes, five minutes, whatever it is, the ego is going to, yeah, round one to me, thank you. But we move on from that. And that's the growth, isn't it? Which, according to Robbins, precedes the contribution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, cliches, Rob. Obviously, within the uh, personal development practitioner fraternity, we're we're told that we we shouldn't use the word should. So I use this word should, um, should steer away from cliches, but I want to offer you one in the context of what we're talking about. We cannot give what we do not have. So we've already introduced on just now on the top of the the more money side, the, the quantitative, the more qualitative side of the, you know, the emotional side. What's your thoughts around that, that cliche? We cannot give what we do not have.
1: Um, I'm not sure if I'm honest, because I think on the one hand, if you don't believe in yourself, why should anyone else? I definitely see that. And If you don't love yourself, are you going to be able to love anyone else? Um, And if you haven't got any money, then you can't be a philanthropist. So I think there's some tick box arguments for that. But one thing I will chuck in is um, guilt um, is a a great emotion from which to give. Um, You know, narcissism is the extreme of selfishness altruism is actually the extreme of selflessness it's the polar opposite um so sometimes if we are in guilt mode or we feel like we've not done enough we're not contributing enough that can create an an emotion to force you to go and do some good and go and serve and help others so that's something to add into the mix to think about i know let's say over the last year i've had some challenges behind the scenes um just had some difficulties of maybe being a bit addicted to work and maybe having a bit having some imbalance in my personal life because I love entrepreneurship so much and um yeah I'm definitely going on a, an individual journey through therapy and trying to work out who I am when you take the brand of the disruptive entrepreneur away from me and that's been a a journey I found a bit difficult to be honest and. Um, and I've had my ups and downs, but my therapy and my, um, what's often helped lift myself back up when I've been challenged is to immediately go and help someone myself. Yeah. So, um, if I've got an area, if I've got a challenge, you know, outside of business and it's hurting me, then I might call up five of my clients or I might put on social media, hey, look, I'll do seven calls today and do 15 minute calls with entrepreneurs. And there seems, I can only speak for me, Paul, it it might not be for everyone or it it might be, but great therapy for me to alleviate my own pain and challenge is to go and immediately help other people. So I haven't got in that moment uh, a balanced emotional state, but then that drives me to go and help a a load of entrepreneurs. Now, you know, I don't help people in areas I have not sorted myself, you know, I help people in business and entrepreneurship and their journey, which I've been on. So I, I maintain that integrity that I'll help people in areas I know I can. No one is a master in all areas. Um, but in some, sometimes I'm giving what I lack because I, I feel in the moment pain, but I'm giving love. Um, mm. I feel in the moment challenge, but I'm giving support. So there's an argument you can actually turn it around as well. Yeah.
2: And I can relate to that so strongly because of my 40 years, and I don't like labels, but for the purpose of this conversation, Rob, I'll use it, my addiction for 40 years was how I got out of that was six months on, six months off, real disciplined, hard, regimented. It's like flipping a light switch. I called it my black and white years, which lasted for 40 years. And so within that was when I was in my black phases, my dark phases, suicide attempts, desperation, or in the gutter, sabotage everything, the lot. And then I'd flip a switch, something inside, which I'd programmed my mind to do to build up into a white phase. In other words, I switched the light switch on for another six months. I'd build myself up. I would give, I would give, I would give. Within that, yes, a lot of people benefited immensely But essentially, it was about me. It was about my healing. It was about my hurt, my pain. And I think that's absolutely fine that we do that. You know, I've spoke to so many people subsequently where you mentioned the word guilt there, Rob, where they've got that guilt. It's like, well, actually, I did that for all the wrong reasons. It doesn't matter. The outcome, i.e. helping others, is all that matters. The bits in between, it's just stuff. And the fact that you have healed or moved along the healing journey... It's a double whammy. What 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 isn't there to like on that?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's therapy for my own challenges to help me overcome my own bumpy ride because um, I'm quite an emotional guy. I am not as level as some wise people around me that I have. I'm a bit high, a bit ding dong, you know, like that. I am a bit like that, and. Surely a greater way to alleviate your pain rather than addictions is service and contribution. One thing I will say, there's a lot of people who are in pain and in guilt and in altruism and serving and contributing, but they're not sending invoices out for their work. They're Mm. not asking for money. And in the end, that lack of balance, because extreme narcissism or extreme altruism are both imbalanced states. So if you're a coach, mentor, if you've got uh, courses, intellectual property, a consultant, a trainer, an educator, don't give everything you've learned your whole life away for free. And what I do is I I donate, let's say, on average, three. it's about three hours a day now of my time purely for free to do podcast interviews with people like yourself. This is my third today, um, my third live video Um to do calls for people at, at um, 50, you know, 1,500 stars, which is like $15, just to get commitment and um, accountability so that they pick up the phone when I call them. Um, and I've done thousands of free calls over the years. Um, if anyone's struggling, I'll often just pick up the phone. I saw someone on Facebook struggling, I just called them up. And they were like, wow. Um, and I don't need to brag about it, although some people say you should say that stuff more than you talk about your accolades because people mm. are going to remember me for that, not my accolades. But I don't want to yeah. use it as a gimmick. It's just what I what I do and I want to mm. do more of it. Um, and so I'll ring fence about three hours a day, sometimes less, sometimes more. And that makes me feel like I'm contributing. Now, if I re- ring fenced eight hours a day to do that, Paul, You know how how do I serve the self? That becomes too selfless. How do I grow? How do I monetize? How do I build a legitimate business? If a business doesn't make profit, it's not a business. It's a liability or a hobby, an expensive one. So you might donate five hours a day in your commercial interests, and three hours a day in your contribution interests. Or it might be when you're skinned, it might be seven to one hour ratio. That's fine. It's something or seven and a half hours commercial and half an hour a day contribution. Now, when you're a billionaire, it might be half hour a day commercial and seven and a half hours a day contribution. Um, And as long as you feel like you're doing both and you're challenging yourself to do both, if you're overly commercial, think of a bit more contribution. If you're overly contribution, think a bit more commercial. Then you have sustainability and equity and fair exchange. Because either when you go to the extreme in either, I'll tell you this and I'll be really honest, if I give too much of my time for free, I will start to go, oh man, I'm feeling a bit drained. Oh, and I'm not getting paid for it. Or I'll start hmm. to feel like, well, people are taking a lot from me. Or I'll start to maybe just resent a bit. Now, it's not right. their fault at all if I've chosen to do it. Now, if I'm just all about money and growth and progress and success and you know, personal brand. And look at me. In the end, there'll be some guilt there that goes, "Oh, Rob, you're getting a bit selfish." You know, come on. There's a calling inside of you that's greater. And um, one of my mentors, John DeMartini, he says that um, the world, the universe, will constantly give you feedback to try and get you back into balance and authenticity, not either extreme. Um, uh, you know, um, out narcissism and altruism, or um, fantasy and pleasure and pain, all extremes. Uh, delusions in that there is upside and downside in everything. Um, And so when we get out of balance, then we'll get feedback in the form of problems and challenges to force us to grow, to get back into balance. And if we're experiencing their problems our whole life, it's because we're not getting the message uh, and by the way, what's your reward when you transcend a problem? Because what, what does everyone want that to be? Oh, my life is sweet now. Oh, everything's great. No more problems. No, your reward for transcending a problem is a bigger one. Because that, that is evolution. Because you don't evolve if you recede. No one wakes up and goes, I want to be smaller today. I want to be less today. I want to decay today. No one wakes up in that. Now, look, I don't want to grow in playing the guitar because it's not my values. But uh, my mission to help as many people on the planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education, I want to reach more people every single day.
2: Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Dr. Martini and also the uh, the values element there. There's something that sticks in the back of my mind, Rob, and maybe you can uh, give me a more specific steer on this, that it did come from Dr. Martini. I read it years ago. And it's something along the lines, and it struck me with what we're trying to do, we're taking our first baby steps with the, the Rob Moore Foundation, relatively speaking, but around forming this mission, this vision, this values. And, and if memory serves, as I say, as I'm paraphrasing now from um, Dr. Martini, something along the lines of only take people with you that share your vision and values, because if you don't, you're setting yourself up for failure, does, does that ring true? I mean, is that mindful from the, the founder of the Rob Moore Foundation, for example, you know, when we do start to uh, formulate the mission, the vision, the values, and really get that down? Does that ring true with, you know, far be it to sort of question Dr. Martini per se, but actually I like to question everybody and say, well, I don't take your words at face value. Tell me why you say that. You know, where's the evidence?
1: Yeah, okay, so when it comes to people um, – I suppose my golden rule to answering questions is um, either extreme is probably an illusion. So you can't separate the yin from the yang, the up from the down, the good from the bad, the easy from the hard, the kind from the cruel. Um, So, no, I don't think you should only surround yourself with people who fully support your vision and mission. I think you should also surround you with people who challenge you to grow. And I remember thinking about my circle. And I suppose before you get into personal development, you don't really think about your circle. Your friends are your friends. You hang around with who you hang around with. Then personal development teaches you you should only hang around with people who've got your back, who want you to succeed. You know, you are the sum of the five people that you hang around with. Who you hang around with is everything. And then some people a lot, bit further down the line will go, but actually it's really wrong just to round, surround yourself, staff, employees, friends, with people who just go, yes, Rob, you're right, Rob. 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 Because in the end, you just fuel your ego. Yep. Then they tell us we should get mentors who are further ahead than us because then we can model the traits of the greats. And then when you've been mentored long enough and you're successful enough, you actually really get a great satisfaction from having mentees and people who are not as far down the journey as you to mentor. And all of these things I've said are good, but they're, they're imbalanced. So I believe it's wise to have people around you who are above you, equal to you and below you, and people who support you and challenge you. So some, look, I, I, I was speaking to my business partner today, uh, and we were having a chat and basically, um, I- I've basically made a mistake um, and we were discussing that only Rob would make this mistake to such this epic degree. It's a Rob style mistake. Most people would make a little bit of this. Like if, if someone spills some water, they might spill it on the table a little bit. I'll spill it on the computer, the iPhone, the dog and I'll ruin everything. Um, and... You know, Mark's like, Rob, look, you need to sit down and listen to me here. Um, and he's challenging me. And it feels uncomfortable, but it's really good because yeah. he will pick me up. You know, he's not a yes man. And he will say, hey, look, Rob, you need to work on this. And um, so it's vital to have people who will challenge you. But yeah. so, you know, when you're when you're too high, you need challenge. When you're too low, you need support. You need Having a mentee is the contribution. Having a mentor is your growth and progress. So, no, I would not say only surround you with people who support your vision and mission. What I would say is surround yourself with people who um, have got your back and don't want you to fail and accept you for who you are. Because someone who will challenge you and say, hey, look, Rob, you've done that wrong. Hey, Rob, you should think about that that's not a a bad thing. That's a good thing. But they've got to want to be with me. They've got to, you know, not have an ulterior motive to bring me down or suppress me. So I think the people you probably don't want in your circle, you know, your crew, if you like, is people who want you to fail, um, people who've got ulterior motives um, and haven't got your back. Other than that, I think you need challenge and support. You need people above you, equal to you and below you. I mean, we all know how nourishing friendships are. Um, And I probably haven't cultivated enough of those over the last 15 years, Paul, if I'm honest. And I'm hoping that our journey together is going to be a friendship as well as a a business partnership. But I've not really sought friendships in the last 10 to 15 years because I've just been so much down the partnerships, joint ventures, collaborations, business, business. That's because that's been my obsession. But obsessions can become unhealthy, and I know I've got I've danced around that place a bit like your addictions, Paul. Yeah. So yeah. you need those equal people as well, who are I respect you for who you are. We're friends. We're not. You're, well, I'm not pedestalizing you. I'm not subordinating to you. I'm not putting you down there. I love you for you, and you're different, and you love me for me, and I'm different. So plus zero and minus support and challenge.
2: Absolutely. So a couple of questions to, as we start to, um, to to wind down, Rob. One is envisage, begin. you know, Stephen Covey's begin with the end in mind. So there we are, hopefully decades, decades, decades down the line as we start to take that proverbial final breath. And you look back, and let's focus this and keep this focused on the Rob Moore Foundation. What does that look like, Rob, in decades to come when you look back?
1: Okay, so what the foundation looks like at the end of my life is that it helped millions and millions of people start and scale meaningful businesses and educating them to do useful meaningful things with their money now of course that you know i could go libraries schools internet in the developed world Donating books, courses, apprenticeships, mentorships—I could tick all the different media medium of which I deliver that. But I, you can, you know, when you start thinking schools and libraries and such, you have to be careful not to make that an ego play. Um, so if I'm there and, I, and millions of people have been educated, inspired, and impacted by the work the foundation has done in whatever capacity, Paul, then I'm happy and, and I like feel like, you know what, I'm going out on a high here. Um, for me, some of the best stuff I've done is a one-to-one phone call with someone who's struggling. As opposed, I mean, I gave 120-odd grand check away to, um, I think it was Sue Ryder or Cancer Research, and I've done big checks like that a few times, and that's great, but the, the individual who's on the floor who's, you know, in lockdown, homeschooling, single mum, lonely, trying to forge her, you know, business in a really difficult breakup, not believing in herself. And I call that person up. That's just an example. There are many different types of people. But, you know, homeschooling has been really hard. And that's mostly been women who have been doing that, that I've been speaking to. Um, And the first thing I say to a, a mother, entrepreneur, homeschooling, and building their businesses, I think you're amazing because I die trying to load the dishwasher. So you have got so many more skills than me. But at the end of that call, when that person is more lifted or inspired or they've got an action or a goal, um, I've had a few people that have said to me, Rob, look, you you really helped me out of a dark place, like you said. I I got this realisation... Because human evolution is growth. And so, therefore, we're all inspired in our areas of inspiration to do more, 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 more. And, you know, we're taught to go. John Demartini teaches me to go from local to national to intercontinental to global to intergalactic. The bigger your vision, the more you achieve. But in the pursuit of that all the time, it's very difficult. It's very easy to forget that actually a million people are a million individuals. And business is all about scale and, you know, it's all about growth. But you can get very impersonal when you do that, very impersonal. So I do a lot of one-to-one phone calls a week. That might be a dozen. Of, I, did, I did nearly 200 in a two-week period over the lockdown. Um, and, you know, you really change the world one person at a time. And just sending them something on email that might be helpful, cool. But talking to them for 15 minutes on the phone, you know, that's that's different.
2: Yeah. And that change comes from within, doesn't it? That starts from within. And I love the way this is kind of just nicely, um, i use the word segwayed again. And just for the final question then, Rob, on that note, um, I'd like us to share one thing each, one thing for the, the listeners and viewers that call it a, a mini legacy, if you will, that will... Nudge people along in their lives or at least give them something to think about um, along the lines of what you've just said there. Um, So I invite you, Rob, to, you know, what is your I know, I mean, for crying out loud, you've written best-selling books by the, the multitude. So there could be a horde. But I want you to pick one. I want you to pick one that says, bang, this is it or this is one of them.
1: I think in the end, the foundation will be the biggest thing I build. I think in the end, you know, of course, I'm hoping to get a multi-million copy book. That's why I write so many, because I'm still trying. Um, Of course, I want my companies to be successful. Of course, I want my podcast to be great. And all the things, Paul, in the future that we don't know yet. I love the thought of a million opportunities in the next six decades. And I don't know what any of them are. To me, that is Mm. the beauty of life. But if I was to say one thing that will be the biggest and the most impactful, I think it will be the foundation. Um, And, you know, I haven't been in a rush, as you've known, Paul. When I set it up, I was a bit like, oh, blimey, I've got to go and do raise loads of money. I've got to raise millions and we've got to go and do this quick. We've got to get. And I thought, no, 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 I've got to do the right thing, not the quick thing. So uh, I've done things at. Um, a reasonable pace my mum's spent a lot of time getting the foundation set up as a registered charity and doing all the the legal and the admin which is has been convoluted like taken two years and you've supported us and that helped and finding the right trustees slowly you know you and I talked for ages we want to do that slowly um and you know we did the NHS 20 grand raise and done a couple of other bits and bobs and doing this three grand raise but you know I'm just going to try and do the right thing not the quick thing yeah. Um, and balance it with my other endeavours. I'm writing three books at the moment. I'm, you know, taking time out of, of, of tactical and operational elements of business so that I can have a more balanced life. Um, but, you know, sometimes we're in a bit of a rush. I mean, I might have six decades left, Paul. I might have seven or eight if, you know, these scientists sort us out. I think the average life expectancy about 100 years ago was under 30, and I believe it's almost 80 now. Or or 200 years ago, it was like 30 or something really low. But what could it be at the end of our lives? Um, Hopefully a lot. So, um, yeah, the foundation probably is the thing if I had to pick it.
2: Well, just on that note of time, Rob, um, in October, I'm 60. So what I've done, I can tell you that my game of life will be going into extra time. So that represents my first half. So from a foundation perspective... You've got another 60 years, you know, potentially to help you along, whatever that might look like. So I'm just kind of loading that up front that the, my game is going to go into extra time. And I use that metaphor because I know you're a, a football supporter. Um,
1: yeah, I, lo- I love that.
2: So I'd just like to close, Rob, by offering my input here around, I suppose, helping people through. And it's, it's a very abstract metaphor. Don't let tail wag dog the dog wags the tail because isn't it true with our minds we get bullied by our minds it takes over us it pushes places that we don't want to go we we lose track of who we are what we are and that for me is a lot of the work that i do personally it's like okay who's the dog here and who's the tail stop the tail wagging the dog so i just um i just offer that for what it's worth rob um i just want to thank you immensely not only for this um, obviously this 250th podcast Um, input but also the opportunity to serve on this monumental scale that you're alluding to with you and and, and obviously your mother Um, that is not a responsibility that I take lightly so I want to immensely thank you for that
1: that's great let's do a shout Um, out quickly Paul I want to do a shout out for your podcast again on my um, page so it's called Mastering the Game of Life yes yeah by Paul Lowe L-O-W-E. So make sure you subscribe to that. This will be the 250th episode. So you are like, in dog years, you are 150 in podcasting terms because it's quite a new um, thing, podcasting, compared to other media. Um, Yeah, Paul, I just want to say thank you as well because I know that, um, you know, you've been a great support over the years and you're doing great work.
2: Superb, Rob. Thank you. And, um, I mean, I don't know. uh, Well, let's ask the question. How do people get in touch with you? I mean, that might sound like a bit of a, a, a crazy question, but I'm going to, no such thing as a crazy question.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, you can find my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. You can find me on any social media channel, YouTube, Facebook, um, Instagram, et cetera. And um, I do read my private messages. If you search my name, Rob Moore, M O O R E, you'll find all my books, Amazon, LinkedIn, everything. Uh, I think on the first one and a half pages of Google, when you search Rob Moore, it's all my stuff. Um, so it took me a while to beat the Rob Moore ice hockey player and the Rob Moore model and the Rob Moore politician. But I, I managed to get them deranked, So it's just me for the first one and a half pages. You can find anything there. So, Paul, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I'm a privileged and proud and grateful to be your 250th episode. Mastering the Game of Life. Make sure you go subscribe to Paul's podcast.
2: And at that point, listeners, it's very timely to sign off and say, remember, Mastering the Game of Life starts by embracing our hearts.
0: Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul With any thoughts or questions you may have, he'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at wwwpaul Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts.